When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music! Charge your glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Mexican goalkeepers, 100 cap right-backs, a controversial Croatian, cult playmakers, international tugs of war, World Cup goal machines, and David Healy. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés and the Pure International Football Eleven. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of $3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 72 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me are the palpably up for it, Michael Cox. Hi Adam. And James Moore. Hi Adam. Uh, I'm very excited about this. Of all the themed 11s we've done, this feels like perhaps the most nebulous, but that gives us the most avenues for discussion. So I'm really excited about this. But first of all, as always, it's the adjudication panel. Hot off the press, right before we went to record this, uh, I was alerted to to some incredible nicknaming. Uh, it was a fairly innocuous story, Michael, about 17-year-old Liverpool youngster Connor Bradley making his Northern Ireland debut in their 3-0 win over Malta at the weekend. And asked about it afterwards, he says, it was unreal, I had goosebumps, it was a proud moment for me and my family. And then asked what it was like to come on for Captain Stuart Dallas as a substitute. He said, obviously Stuarty is an unbelievable player. What he has done in the game is superb, so it made it a bit nicer to come on for him. Stuarty! Yeah, I'm not having that. It feels like he's on the cusp of having gone from Stuart Dallas being someone he looks up to to Stuart Dallas being a teammate and he stumbled a little bit, wasn't prepared. But uh, it's quite sweet. I quite like that. I mean, he is definitely panicked. That that wouldn't even be Marcus Stewart's <laughs> nickname. I mean, that is, yeah, that, that isn't working for me at all. No, agreed. I, I can't imagine he's called Stewarty on a regular basis at either club or international level. Uh, he's got a decent enough surname to use, Dallas, Dallasy. But yeah, not, not Stewarty. Can't see that. I mean, hot on the heels of of the big, epic, critically acclaimed Matty debate in recent weeks. Yeah, I can't see the Stuarts muscling on in on this at all. Next up, I wanted to have some great fun with this. Everton have found themselves, James, in an emergency manager hunt before the Euros, which sounds like an incredibly inconvenient time to find a manager. After Carlo Ancelotti has basically just said, I don't fancy this anymore. I'm going to go do something a little bit... Um, 
just more to my tastes. The list of potential candidates for this new job are as diverse and scattergun as any of I've seen recently. If you give me a name, please, of a potential next Everton manager, I will generate for you, via the power of Wikipedia, an athletic long read headline. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's um, let's go with Paolo Fonseca then. Paolo Fonseca. So what I'm doing now is I'm going to go to Paolo Fonseca's Wikipedia page and then generate three random further Wikipedia pages to generate his How He Transformed Everton's Fortunes long read. I don't know how much mileage this has got and whether we're... This, this isn't biting the hand that feeds, is it? It's not, is I mean, it? It definitely it's is, a, but I think it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. No, yeah, it's fine. Okay, so Paolo Fonseca. Here we go. Um... Limbs, ceramics of Jalisco, and Lu Yunfeng, the Taiwanese table tennis player. How Paolo Fonseca <laughs> turned Everton around. I mean, limbs has become a bit of a football word in recent years, hasn't it? So that one does fit quite nicely. Suggesting that he's got, got Goodison rocking Absolutely, again. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah. got, he's got the fans celebrating with the players. Yeah. Which, of course, yeah, they couldn't yeah. do last so year. So just the, exactly. the presence of limbs has transformed everything. So let's refine this. Limbs pre-Hispanic ceramics and Taiwanese table tennis, how Paolo Fonseca turned Everton's fortunes around. Michael, can I have a second name? Oh, I'm going for Graham Potter. Oh, okay. Not a name I thought was in the mix, but let's go. French watercolours, American photography and Australian socialism. How Graham Potter restored Everton's soul. Yeah, I mean, it does sound a little bit um, extreme, but I mean, there have been some Graham Potter stories about him introducing, I think, ballet to his... Uh, to his players in when he was in Sweden. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility. They tried Australian socialism at Goodison before. It didn't work. Can't believe they're going to do it again. Because I'm having so much fun with this. James, can we have one more name from the uh, Everton supposed shortlist? Well, look, let, let's have Stephen Gerrard seeing as the, the Athletic uh, reported yesterday. He may be on an incredibly long list. <laughs> okay. Um, mischievous as that might be, let's go with Stephen Gerrard and his... Athletic long read as Everton's transformative new manager. Icelandic churches, 3D computer graphics and American country music. How Steven Gerrard pulled Everton from the brink. We do know that he has questionable taste in music after the Phil Collins. And he lives in America, so. Yeah. And also, mm. he does have a high profile Icelandic player. Well, he, or he would if he yes. knew Ben Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, 3D mm printing or whatever that one was no the 3d computer graphics is, is good sort of xyz territory because it's like oh yeah we've done something sort of technologically okay. innovative to get this team back on track i quite like that i like the fonseca one personally um whatever mileage this had we've used it up but i, I really enjoyed doing it uh, it's something i will consider doing again uh, and if any of those pop up in an athletic headline i will be delighted i want to get on to the main business of today this is the pure international football 11 James. Now the criteria for this, I don't want it. I don't want it to be too vague. I want. I want. I want to pin this down if we can. I think it's important that we do so. So the headline is here: is we're picking an eleven of players who disproportionately are known for their international exploits rather than their club careers, past or present. And it could be for any number of reasons, from a particular moment to an entire career. Do you feel quite clear on this? Do you feel like? Do you feel like the vibe of where we're going here? Yeah, I do now. I, I, to admit, I wasn't especially clear when you mentioned this yesterday, but to now I'm uh, I'm Good. fully on board. Fantastic. Michael, um, for once, this is quite a democratic 11. Anything kind of goes quality-wise. There's no elitism and there's no hipsterdom either. We don't have to go obscure if we don't need to. Um, there, are some, there are some very obvious names that we might pick along this time. So, that, so it, it's, it's nice to have the full selection of stratas of football available to us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine that people think... 
international squad should always be based on club form. And I tend to think a side like Germany tended to pick the players who'd done it for their country, even if they came into the tournament in pretty poor form. And it usually just about worked for them. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed putting together my personal 11. And um, I tried not to look too much at the listener suggestion because I didn't want to influence my thinking. But I bet there's some real, like, really good shouts in there. There were incredible shouts throughout. Um, the running theme from the listener suggestions, James, was... This is a player who, who has excelled or been notable at international level, but you can't remember who they play for at club level. Now, I've got a bit of an issue with that. I, I, I want to be a bit more cultured than that because we shouldn't celebrate ignorance on the Football Clichés podcast. Not knowing where Jose Luis Schilliver spent the bulk of his club career is not something to be proud of, is it? Uh, it's Velo Sarsfield, isn't it, I believe? Yes, yes, very much go. so. Um, but no, I, I think I think you're right. It's just players who you would think of first as an international player rather than a than a yeah. player at club level. You know, you pro- we, pro- we probably don't want players who have, um, you know, won multiple Champions Leagues or you know played in the Premier League for 300 matches or whatever. You want someone who you'd be excited to watch play in a major tournament because you haven't watched them play loads. You know, in, in between those two years. I completely agree. I, I think a stellar club career pretty much rules you out, but. Along as we go through this team, I think we're going to find that there are some subtleties to international football, which which lends itself to certain players more than it does others. We're going to be going four three three as we so often do with these. But Coxie, don't worry, we're going to revert, reverting to four five one without the ball. Um, very important as they always do. Um, let's start with our goalkeepers, please, Michael. Um, there are some very obvious names that pop up here. Um, Jorge Campos was suggested. Rene Higita and Shiliver also named are in the mix. Jack Pierce says, Rustu, the Turkish goalkeeper, deserves a place in the squad given that Shilavar is your likely number one. Bit presumptive from Jack Pierce. Uh, Mike CJF concurs, Michael. He says, have to give it up for my boy Rustu, a titan of international football. Final shout from Michael Wood. Sergio Romero has more international caps 107 than club games 103. Please note this is not actually true, but it does sound like it might be. Good shouts there. Good shouts. Yeah, I think South American goalkeepers feature prominently, don't they? I mean, my one was Chilever, um, just because it was so exciting. I mean, it was the one thing everyone knew about Paraguay was that they had a goalkeeper who took free kicks. And I remember the excitement uh, in 2002. I think he was suspended initially from the first two games of 2002, and then it was reduced to just the first game. And that was just tremendously exciting. But I must say, I think Rushtu is a great shout because he looked brilliant at the World Cup and then went to Barcelona. And I don't think I ever saw him play for Barcelona. He made four appearances over three years um, and played the rest of his career in Turkey. And I, I guess most of us don't really watch much Turkish domestic football. So I think Rushtu is actually a really good shout. Vaguely remember Rushtu, um, James, nearly kicking uh, Kieran Dyer's head off. That's right. Qualifier at the same of like way in Turkey. Oh no! Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, he is definitely a good chat. I mean, I think there's probably quite a few players from that Turkey team that you could have in this team. Mm. I would say on on Chilever, because he's so because he's so trans world sport. I, I don't <laughs> I don't think that was like a surprise when the tournament came around. I don't think. I mean, I guess because you knew about it. I suppose going back to what I said before, you were excited to see him. I don't. So- I don't know. I'm not sure he was quite. Like the, the one I thought of was uh, Achoa, Guillermo Achoa, the Mexican keeper yeah. in 2014, who had that yeah. amazing game against Brazil. Obviously, the World Cup was in Brazil. They drew 0-0 and came to Europe, went to... I'll look at my other screen to see which Spanish club it was he's joined because mm, I have forgotten. Uh, went, oh, no, I've just written down he moved to Spain. There you go. That's the level <laughs> of my research. It didn't work out there and they ended up going to Standard Liège for a couple of years and then going back to Mexico. But someone mm. like that who kind of feels like they're very much like 
within one tournament. I'm sure he did play in 2018 as well. Michael will know this, I'm sure. But he, he was like one of the standout performers in that tournament. It was all, Everyone was going on about that performance against Brazil. And, and I just feel like because he had a move off the back of it, to a sort of underwhelming European club, it didn't work out. I don't know. It all kind of feels like that. I think that's. Me. I think that's quite a crucial aspect of it. You know, getting that kind, not ill-fated, but underwhelming move on the back of your international exploits. I think is kind of one of the cornerstones of this team. Um, I really like Guillermo Ochoa. Dan Evans writes and says Guillermo Ochoa exists for World Cup group matches, and that's <laughs> it. So I mean, he, uh, there was a, there were a few shouts for this guy. I mean, given that we don't want to be too obvious, we don't necessarily have to go with the Shilvers of this world. I'm quite happy with Guillermo Ochoa. Are we all? I mean, yeah. yeah. I think it's a great show. There was a there was a bit of a controversy when there was the FIFA Best Awards. It must have been 2014, and he got named in it ahead of Buffon, um, and people were just appalled at that. So it was purely on the back of his World Cup display. So I think he's a great. <laughs> it was that like one game? Yeah. Oh, that rubber stamps yeah. it. Oh, that completely rubber stamps it. Yeah, he was recognised officially for a uh, disproportionate international. Um, level of performance excellent let's move on to our right backs james um i only got two suggestions for you here baseman 93 coxie's gonna love this one benjamin pavard <laughs> absolute oh, screamer for france no. he's a Bayern munich player allegedly but i've not heard a peep about him there i i would say he's very champions leaguey so I, i'm not happy with that yeah um, I, go on go on, give me give me the other one i'm not having pavard Next one, I'm uh, next one. I'm really happy with because um, he ticks a certain box for me. Harry Adams says Chris Gunter has a hundred caps for Wales, which is mental for someone who was so underwhelming at club level. Anyone who gets to a hundred caps quite surprisingly, without causing any ripples at, at domestic level, is a real candidate for this team. Yeah, well, what's good about Chris Gunter is he's like a massive cult hero among Wales fans, and you don't get cult heroes in international football that often because the players yeah. are generally good. So, like, the idea that there's this guy who's got, like, 100 caps and he's, like, the sort of, I don't know, the, the kind of underwhelming player in that team. I quite, it's mm. quite, like, it's quite, an, I mean, with all due respect to him, obviously, he's actually a good player. Yeah, that's Yeah, I'm, I'm into that. And also, he can kind of switch and play left-back, I think, as well. He's played left-back before, so a bit of versatility Solid. to get him in the squad. Yeah. And you want that in international level, allegedly. So that's um, so that's quite good. Coxie, any any complaints there? No, I, I think that's a really good show. I actually didn't have a right back, and I'm going to explain why I didn't have a right back because my initial right back was uh, Christian Gamboa, who played really well in 2014 and 2018. Uh, in between that time, played really averagely for West Brom and Celtic. But I'm disallowing it because I checked him on Wikipedia and I found the following sentence. In July 2014, uh, West Bromwich Albion agreed to sign Gamboa for a fee estimated around £2 million. Because the player had insufficient work, uh, recent international appearances for a work permit, and therefore <laughs> he's automatically out of the equation. 100%. If you do not pass the Home Office criteria for a UK work permit, you are not well known enough at international level, nor have you played enough. Thank you. Thank you for introducing that. Um yeah, I should have run this past the home <laughs> office before we did this. Uh, but Chris Gunter is our right back. No complaints. Doesn't even need a work permit. Even better. Um, left back. My first suggestion here is a good example of a player who seems to be defined in international football by one moment rather than anything else. And that's Fabio Grosso, Michael, because I hand on heart, and I'm not proud of this, I couldn't tell you where he spent the bulk of his career or where he excelled at most. I'm assuming Juventus. He had a couple of years uh, at Juventus, but... Didn't look very good there. Also had a couple of years at Inter and really struggled as well. Um, played quite well for Palermo. I seem to remember people saying, but of course I, I was not watching a lot of Palermo at that time. And also, yeah, I mean, everyone remembers the um, the glorious curling goal against Germany. Um, and he also scored the winning penalty in the final. 
So we had two great moments, both mm. in a World Cup. But James, should we, how much weight should we be putting on individual moments? <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because the name I've written down it is very much based on one moment, the only moment I know this player for. And I have a feeling you'll both remember. But now that I've come to it, I realise I don't actually know that he was a left-back. I've just basically guessed based on where he picked the ball up for this goal. So this is Pierre Nianka of Cameroon who scored an incredible goal against Austria this is this was the first World Cup I watched oh he cut onto his right foot and arrowed yeah, he into like, the top corner bom- he picked the ball up just on the halfway line out on the left and mm. bombed down the left flank cut inside like you say onto his right foot and ha- arrowed it in one of my favourite World Cup goals and I don't care if that's hipster uh, but yeah, I actually don't know if uh, he's a left back, but I, I feel like he could do a job. He's obviously got a good engine, so he'll be fine. Yeah, I feel like Cameroon will feature heavily in this team at, at one point. But, but, but that's also an interesting technicality here, Michael. If we pick certain countries, a lot of their players will only be known at the international level. The USA, for example, if you take USA 94, half of their squad didn't have a club. They were contracted to US soccer. So there, so there are some really obvious technical reasons why some players will only be known as internationals. And for, as far as sort of Cameroonian players goes we were, we were never going to be aware of who they played for um, so we we're only ever going to get exposed to the international level so I worry about that as a overriding technicality here so I'm not happy with Nianka I, I, I need someone with a more all-encompassing appeal I'll give you a couple of names Michael Ross McIntosh says Joan Captavilla uh, a mainstay yes. for Spain at fullback but can't remember a single club game I've ever seen him play in that's true yeah well he was the only non-Barca or Real player in their 2010 World Cup winning side. He was at Villarreal and always looked quite good. And then I remember he went to Benfica, I think as a replacement for Fabio Contral, and was just absolutely appalling, like genuinely dreadful, couldn't run. I think <laughs> I think retired shortly after that. So yeah, I think he's a good shout. I had uh, gross, my three candidates were Grosso, Captivia, um, and Ricardo Rodriguez, who always looks ah, great. Ah, yes. But has never really done it at club level and um, kind of got bombed out at Milan, is now at Torino, which just feels just lower than a kind of respectable level for a World Cup. Still in his late 20s as well. So, yeah. Um, So he still, you know, he still has the potential to grow as an international footballer, as an international presence. He could do well this tournament. He has, Ricardo Rodriguez has a added appeal of being a kind of transfer gossip machine on the back of a tournament like people see him at a tournament go he'd do well in the Premier League I yeah I, I think we should sign him and every time I see him at major tournament I think yeah he'd be really useful so I'm 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 stuck between him and Captivilla Captivilla Cap because he's won the World Cup does that make him too good for this well no because if anything it cements oh, his true, international actually, yeah. appeal so should we go should we go for Captivilla um I feel like he would slot in um more naturally at left back yeah yeah Gunter on the right, Captivilla on the left. This is great. This is great stuff. Centre half. I have some potentially controversial names to throw in. Some more more of a shoe in. James Fabio Cannavaro. Someone mentioned, which I'm. We, I, yeah, it's. I don't. I tell you what. I mean, he's clearly too mainstream to get into the team. But I think it's a great shout because yes. he'd had a bad couple of years. I think at Juventus, it didn't really work out for him at Real Madrid. Um, and, he, and he was mm. probably the last ever player that will win the Ballon d'Or purely on the basis of an international tournament. Yes. So it, yes. that is good. It, I don't think you can go in because we remember him for Parma, we remember him for Juve. Mm. But it's a really good shout, though. He had a, he had a long enough club backstory, is what you're mm-hmm. saying. 
You've explained well, him as being interesting within the context of his club career there, which I think mm-hmm. does sort of preclude him, sadly. It doesn't matter if you were bad at club level. I mean, if people still notice yeah. that you were bad, that kind of counts against you. Um, some other names. Uh, Pete C says, if Benjamin Massing isn't in there, you and me are through. We've already explained we're going to be sparing with the Cameroonians. And uh, Massing is... Massing, there, there are just better candidates um, here. Ismail James says, Roque Jr. at the back. Disaster at Leeds a year after the winning the World Cup. Are we, have we got like a reverse Cannavaro situation? Going? Yeah, I think maybe. I think yeah, it's just slightly, too, it's just noticeably bad at Leeds. I think slightly too much. I think that probably rules yeah. him out. Unfortunately. Your abiding memory of him is not playing for Brazil. It's with, it's with the ripped shirt exactly. at Leeds. Exactly. <laughs> yes, you've just gestured a ripped shirt uh, almost instinctively. Uh, that's why you're on this podcast, for God's sake. Um, two more names for you, Michael. This potentially could be our pairing uh, unless you've got anything up your sleeve guys but Trifon Ivanov of Bulgaria who ticks many boxes just being you know visually memorable um having this kind of set piece trick up his sleeve and being just notable at major tournaments without really pulling up any obvious trees so just a tournament presence yeah i mean He's one of the only footballers I think of purely as a Panini World Cup sticker rather than someone who actually does anything on the football pitch. So that's Mm. good. Who's the other name? Uh, Alongside the late, great Trifon Ivanov, I I give to you via Dan McCarthy, who says Rafael Marquez is the obvious captain. Even though he's 42-year-olds and Mexican, I still expect to see him playing at the Euros. Um, this was backed up by Gwilym Lockwood, who says Rafael Marquez obviously had a great club career as well. But the words Marquez was excellent as Mexico went out in a creditable close defeat in the second round is the story of every World Cup from 2002 to 2018. It, I think, and I think this is good because you need a player who who is part of World Cup tapestry and 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 who's been to several World Cups and is just a constant presence. I think this is what this this is a foundation stone of this. Isn't yeah, it? and he he never looked very good for Barcelona. Certainly not as good as he looked at World Cups. He had that style. C- can I chuck a couple of names at you that were on my shortlist? Uh, the on. first one was. Uh, Domagoj Vida of Croatia. He was one of mine. Um, he's a Panini he's sticker as well, so by the way. Often. He's a Panini What's sticker. What's the fascination with Domagoj well, Vida? He just looks Yeah, weird. and the thing is, I, I honestly just don't know who he is. I mean, he's a kind of, he reminds me of if you've got a friend of a friend who you only see once a year at a birthday party. But if you <laughs> were to encounter him in real life, like on the street, it would be very, very strange. So I think he's a great Domagoj, show. I saw you at, I saw you at, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he'd be yeah, doing something normal, but you, you'd just be like, hey, I didn't know you went to this dentist or something like that. That's kind of, <laughs> I, um, my other one, and I feel like this won't get in because he's a little bit too Chris Gunter, but it's Gary Breen, who um, oh, okay. was yes. famously the only player without a club at World Cup 2002. Had a really yep, good tournament tick. with Ireland. On the back of that was linked with Barcelona and only revealed quite recently that he very nearly signed on the back of that tournament for uh, Inter, but failed a medical. Mm. And Inter had uh, Ivan Cordoba, Marco Materazzi, Laurent Blanc and Daniele Adani. And we're trying to sign Gary Breen, recently released from Coventry City. So good. Um, mm. So I, I just think... And also, I don't really remember anything he did for any of his club sides, but I do remember the... I, uh, the Irish fan song about how they dream of a team of Gary Breen's, which was a really good chance. I'm so torn. I'm so torn here. It's got to be Breen um, for me. That sold it for me. 
You, really? Yeah, I mean, it really does. That's a, such a great I story. I love the Gary Breen story. I love it. I just, I just think of him as, I think of him primarily, despite that, as a mid-table Premier League defender of of some repute. So I don't want Breen in my team. Um, he's too domestic. You know he could do a job for you if you were battling relegation in the Premier League towards the end of the 1990s, early 2000s. Rafael Marquez has to be in this team. So it comes down to Trifon Ivanov or the puzzlingly well-suggested Domagoj Vida. At least a dozen people. I don't understand. I mean, it's, it's kind of the reverse phenomenon of this podcast. Like loads of people picking up on a vibe and I don't get it. I don't like it. Um, so no, for that reason alone, I'm offended <laughs> and I don't like it. I, the only thing I remember about Domagoj Vida is Peter Drury. I think he, he scored in the quarterfinal of the World Cup and uh, Drury simply said, and Domagoj Vida got big. Domagoj Vida got big. Um, so, I mean, that's a feather in his international cap. So I'm going to go with Rafael Marquez. Oh, go on. Let's get Domagoj Vida. Domagoj Vida is, just for a little bit of modern take, Trevon Ivanov, perhaps too much of a cartoon figure, mm. maybe. I, feel, I regret this choice already. I might change it at the end. Uh, uh, might change my mind. But anyway, trying to appease everybody. So good, solid defence. So let's, let's recap in goal. We have Guillermo Ochoa of Mexico, Chris Gunter at right back, Joan Capdevilla at left back, and a centre-half partnership of Rafael Marquez and Domagoy Vida, of course. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So into our midfield. So we have, we've got a midfield trio. We don't care about who's sitting. We don't care about who's bombing on. James, give me some midfielders, please. There's a few options. So you want, you want a player in your, ta- your team of tournament players or international players who can score the first goal of a tournament. And if you think about like the, the first goals of tournaments, I mean, Chabalala's yeah. the obvious one, the most obvious one. And he's probably more of a winger, really. I, we might struggle to fit him in. But Papa Bouba Diop, okay. who I think may have been in your Premier League team. Was he in your Premier League team? He was certainly a contender. If, if, he, he, was was in, if he was even in contention for the Premier League team, I don't think he can get into this team, can he? He's, he's too... That's a good point. That Premier is a good League. point. I do like first goals of the tournament as a as a um, as a starting. We might have to come back to Shabalala then because I don't know, I don't think anyone knows anything about his club career. The other one I was going to mention, uh, and we talked about we talked about Rodriguez, and I think it is important to have a Swiss player in this team. Valon Berami. I okay. mean, he, he I think he could have played in every international tournament over the last twenty years. <laughs> um, and despite playing for two clubs in England, and I don't know whether you could name both of them. I think you could probably name one. Could you name both? West Ham. Yeah. And no, I genuinely can't. Watford. Uh, oh. I don't think you know a single thing that he did in English football. So I think he could be quite a good contender. Yeah, a very strong contender. Michael, um, let's hear your midfield selection. Yeah, I mean, you say you weren't too bothered by the tactics and who's sitting and that kind of thing. I think I've got the ultimate sitter here. <laughs> and I've got, I think I've got some stats to back up why he should be in. And that man, that man is Dunga. Oh, so nice. Okay. Of very successful Brazil side throughout the 1990s. And here's the stats. Wikipedia word count. International career. 535 words <laughs> club career 40 words right and between between world cup 1990 and 94 he was playing for fiorentina for a while and then he had a one-year spell at pescara who finished bottom of mm. Serie A. he was the brazil <laughs> he was the brazil captain and coming bottom of 
Serie A. Oh, I this just is great. can't imagine him playing at club level. I just don't think I saw it. Just to summarise your data here, uh, 93% of his Wikipedia page is dedicated to his international career, uh, which is pathetic. And he played in Japan he as well. played in Japan, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he played in Japan. Of course, um, he had two spells as an international manager as well, which I think, I was gonna I say, think gives him a little bit more credence as well. Dunga straight in. No complaints from me and, and no complaints from our listeners as well. But unless, unless you're from Brazil and you care about Palmeiras or, or something like that, which we don't. So Dunga is sitting in our midfield. Um, right, I'm going to fire some names at you. Carol Paborski. How could you possibly have any complaints, James, with Carol Paborski? Well, I remember him playing for Manchester United. <laughs> I feel like not... if you play for like a, like a big club... Mm. Famously play for a big club. I kind of feel like I'm, that that should rule you. But up. he got that move on the back of one goal at the European Championships. It, it, that is he true. did, but I remember him too much in the Premier League. I remember him scoring away at Leeds, where he scored kind of from the edge of the box, and the net made a weird noise when he oh. hit the ball in. Um, but he's so he's just so inextricably linked with one tournament. He's so Euro. He is, but he was. Yeah, I suppose he was still around for for, for two thousand four as well. I think it, if I close my eyes. And I try and imagine Karol Paborski. I will see him in that Manchester United kit, the ninety six, ninety seven Manchester United kit, the one with the sort of weird that. sort of checky, with the checky, yeah. checky sleeves. So, I accept that. Yeah, and, and, and actually, the close your eyes and think about the player test it should be very high up the hierarchy <laughs> of reasons for this. Um, okay, now well argued, well argued indeed. Further on, Carlos Valderrama was a very popular shout, Michael, but I do worry that we're getting into a kind of um, anti South American stance here where we think well I don't remember him playing for a South American club so he must be in the team yeah um, should we start ruling them out on that I, I kind of think so I think for a legendary Colombian player before a certain era it's logical that we would only have seen them at international level and they they probably were great at mm. club level as well a decent for Montpellier as I'll, well I'll, I'll take your word for that as well it I can't would... remember but there okay. you go I've got a, a a strange one but I think kind of fits mm-hmm. this albeit on the back of one tournament and that man yeah. is Junichi Inamoto who is a bit of a joke figure because okay. he was released by Arsenal shortly before the 2002 World Cup, although it later turned out he was only on loan. And then he scored two really good goals and there was a sudden, like, can Wenger keep him thing? And this was a player he'd watched yeah. train for a year and hadn't deemed worthy of a single substitute appearance. The slight issue is he then played for Fulham and West Brom and did all right. And I suppose it's a slightly grey area, James, with Inamoto in the sense that there was this lingering myth perhaps that he was signed for his international marketing potential which isn't necessarily because of his international career because yeah. it's directly related to his club profiting from his reputation so where do we stand on this is, it, is that international appeal or is it isn't it yes yeah i'm just i'm just not i don't know in a moto i just feel like it just i just remember him playing sorry i don't want to do that test again but i'm just seeing that fulham kit <laughs> it's fulham isn't it's it it's fat fulham I kit can see, yeah he's very fulham can i give you another um, name yeah go on georgios karagounis <laughs> We're at risk of having too many World Cup players in this team, and he is definitely a Euros player. He's played in three Euros, no, enough, and obviously won Euro 2004 mm. in the heart of midfield. I kind of feel like he might add a bit of steel. I mean, no, we've got Dunga, but you know, you need a bit more steel, don't you? I th- am I right in saying Carrie Goons? I think in 2004, he got first game booked, second game booked, third game suspended, then fourth game booked, fifth game booked, final suspended. I could be wrong, but if he got four bookings in four. Uh, games in a triumphant <laughs> European Championships. He's definitely in that for me. I'm writing his name down as a provisional, but I, I fear he may be penciled in here because I've got some very solid names for you. Nick Murphy says, I'm pretty sure that Alan Zagoyev has been the breakout <laughs> star at every major tournament over the last decade. I don't know how old Alan Zagoyev is. I think is he's now. about 28 Can you or guess? 29. 
Alan Zagoyev is 30. And I don't even know if he's in the squad. But even if he is, I would still think of him as being, you know, Russia's bright young thing. So, yeah, I just... I don't know, but he was—he was quite—he's quite a transfer rumoury player, perhaps off his his domestic form as well. So let's 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 plough on. Cameron Christie James says it's a hundred percent James McFadden, fairly decent club career, but someone who'll always be remembered much more for what he did for Scotland: goals versus France, Holland, and Macedonia standouts. Real talisman of the team. Then he's just—he's very Everton, isn't he? In Rangers. Mm. Yeah, I probably would say he's more Scotland, but I mean, he has got that sort of erratic appeal as well, hasn't he? He's kind of, mm. he, he's a player that looks good in very short bursts, and that is that is kind of the hallmark of a tournament player, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I've got three cast iron names for you now, Michael. Sob is here, suggests Hassan Sass. <laughs> From the 2002 World Cup, he says he was presumably synthetically created in a Turkish lab specifically for that tournament before being quickly and humanely destroyed, as I never saw him before or since. Quite like Hassan Sass. Sam says Owen Hargreaves, subject to an international tug of war before 99% of us had even seen him play, tick, used as both a stick to beat Sven with, but also for those in the know to tell us how good he really was against Portugal. Good club career, but who really cared? I think he's. I think he. I think he's well in there. Have being the international tug of war aspect is a huge deal. Yeah, I think that's a really good shot. I mean, I remember having a, a kind of debate argument with some friends shortly before the 2006 World Cup, and they all thought he shouldn't be anywhere near the squad. And he ended up having a great tournament and got voted the England Player of the Year. And there's also a thing that is really good, I think, for Owen Hargreaves, where he obviously had a period where he was out for pretty much 18 months leading up to the 2010 World Cup. And yet would still be kind of mentioned as a kind of penciled his name in as, yeah, if he's fit, he'd do a really good job. So, yeah, I think that's really good. The bit about international tug of war before we'd seen him play, that is really good. Yeah. So, I mean, such a rare, I mean, probably wouldn't happen anymore. I mean, I mean, Bellingham is probably about as close as we could ever get to this phenomenon now. But I don't think we'll ever see, James, a situation where we are we know, we know so little about an England player before he makes his debut. It's just it's, that's never going to happen now. Yeah, I mean, I guess we did have we did have a tug of war with uh, Musiala, didn't we? I, t- to an extent, I mean, obviously he declared for Germany rather than England in the end. So I guess it's kind of worked the other way around in that instance. But yeah, it does seem unlikely that the way we and I say we, I mean the Athletics specifically, like hype up young players at every single club now. It, it does seem unlikely that someone's going to kind of slip the net and. Uh, suddenly being the England squad. But like you say, I mean, I, I I think a lot of people wouldn't have really known much about Bellingham. And I think it he could be the one who like catches a lot of people by surprise this summer, sort of more casual football watchers who I think could be caught out because I expect he's probably going to play the first game. Yeah, true, true. Um, finally, uh, Michael, two more names for you. Nick Weston says, Mohamed Zidane felt like he scored every AFCON game and Egypt won every AFCON game for four years. So kind of kind of happy to consider him he also says um he also scored a random goal against england which helps sort of usher him into the consciousness but he also says jakob blaszczykowski seemed to score the opening goal of a tournament five times in a row with poland i kind of blaszczykowski just because he was such a big part of klopp's door and it's like an important cog in that machine. yeah i think zidane is quite a good shout because he would always be disproportionately high in like world soccer magazine's end of year best 10 players because obviously world soccer put great emphasis on international tournaments so i i think he's he's up there as well yeah oh just one final name to chuck into the mix 
Uh, I don't really have anything to say about him other than his name, and that's Andres Guardado. Has been playing for Mexico for about 15 years, and yet I've rarely seen him play at club level. We've got two Mexicans in our team. Already. Yeah, fair play. Can, can, can I chuck another one in? Sorry. Cuauhtémoc Blanco. None of us watch the Liga MX, <laughs> no. do we? And I'm sure I butchered yes. that first name. And I mean, I, I, obviously people will know him for the bunny hop uh, sort of finishing move. You do need like a, a player with a gimmick is quite, I think that's quite important for this team, isn't it? That's a kind of, you know, you only know him for that one move. I mean, I don't... He's a striker I not, though, right? I think it's, like a number, it's more like a number 10 and I think in this team surely we're going to have to play him as an attacking mm. midfield, aren't we? Potentially, given the competition for places up front. I don't like him in midfield though. So what it comes down to for me is Dunga, Hargreaves and it's a toss-up between uh, Karagounis and Valderrama. I, I think Valderrama, despite what I said earlier, I think Valderrama, the team needs a bit of flair and I think everyone knows, everyone knows what international side he played for. Very few play, uh, people would know which club side he played for. So I think that's a good shout. Passes James' uh, closed eyes test as well, mm. I, th- I feel. Okay, great midfield as well. Discipline, diligence, creativity. Dunga, Valderrama and Hargreaves. Great stuff. Right, let's go up front. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Because this is the exciting bit. Uh, about 1,200 names to get through here, so this is uh, this is going to be fun. James, I'm just going to fire four or five at you straight away and see what you say. So Roger I close Miller. my eyes and do the test? Yeah, please do. Okay. Roger Miller, Jan Koller, Lucas Podolski, Ali Dai, and David Healy. Pick the bones out of those. Podolski, uh, before Podolski joined Arsenal, he was very much in that bracket. But I think now, because I, I just kind of think since that point, uh, he's probably too Premier League, isn't he? I, 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 I think we might have Roger German Miller rival is, for that pace. So, Roger yeah. Miller is a little bit too. Uh, this is going to sound stupid, but Roger Miller is a little bit too obvious for me. I don't. I'm not I know sure. what you mean. I mean, he is obviously very much. I mean, I couldn't tell you who he played for. I, 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 no. mean, I don't know if you have this information in front of you, or you just know a fan. I wouldn't have a clue. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Miller, I'm just not sure he's going to have the quality to get in this team. And remind me who the first two were. Sorry, uh, there was Jan Koller. Oh, Jan Koller. Yeah, Jan Koller's a good shout. Again, he and kind of he kind of has that. Longevity, I think, in these tournaments mm. as well. He seems like he played in quite a few. In many ways. Uh, Ali Dai. Of course. Yeah. The, ulti- the, again? Ul- the ultimate international player, though. Oh, though. Though, if I asked you to picture an Ali Dai goal, you're probably going to suggest the uh, the goal in the 1 0 win for her to Berlin over Chelsea in the Champions League in 1999 2000, presumably. Yeah, probably. That is a good um, point. So that, that counts point. against him hugely. Yeah. What about David Healy, James? I mean, he, he is actually, to be fair, having said that Chris Gunter was quite unusual in being a cult hero in international football, David Healy is definitely the same in Northern Ireland, isn't yeah. he? He is another one of those. And the only goal I can remember is the England goal. Michael, are you happy with uh, He was on my list, actually. I mean, there was the 1-0 win against England where he scored the goal. He scored a hat-trick against Spain. He was, when he became uh, the top goal scorer in European uh, qualifying, he, at that point, he was the highest ever goal scorer in a single qualification campaign. Um, only five Premier League goals, uh, usually playing the championship, only once scored more than 12 in a league season. The strange thing with him is, obviously, he never plays at international tournament. So it depends, really, Adam, how much emphasis you want to put on that. I don't really, I don't really mind that at all, because given the given the, the emphatic difference between his form at, 
club at international level. And it's not like we've forgotten who he played for at domestic level. We, we you know, we, we're bearing that in mind. But also the clincher, and I, I've seen this crop up a couple of times in recent years, where sort of pundits sort of jokingly suggest he should wear a Northern Ireland shirt under his <laughs> club shirt to get him going. Um, which, uh, which to me is, well, it basically sums up the whole thing. So David Healy, an absolute shoo-in for this. He was suggested by so many listeners as well. So I'm happy with that. I'm going to count out, James. I'll count out Podolsky because I think we may have a better German candidate coming up very shortly. Um, Michael, I will fire a few more names at you now. Uh, Mark Watson, formerly of this podcast, says that guy from Saudi Arabia who scored a mad goal against Belgium in 1994 and you never thought about him again. Bit too momenty for you? A little bit. And I think you have to know the player's name. I think that is (laughs) an element. Yes, Saeed Alawiran, of course. The thing is, because all the Saudi players generally stay playing their club football in Saudi Arabia, they are by very definition to our eyes, like international players. So, I mean, that does work in his favour. But yeah, I want to steer away from moments if we can, because this needs to be a kind of overwhelming vibe for these players. Elsewhere... Uh, goal scorer challenge Michael says Oleg Selenko is the first who came to mind he won a golden boot but who here could tell us anything about him at all apparently he played for Rangers but that seems made up <laughs> yes that is good I remember him playing for Rangers but I can't remember anything he did mm. so I think that's a decent shout yeah yeah it still feels a little bit incidental mm. to me I mean I, I don't picture him in a Russia shirt I just don't picture him you at just, all which doesn't just, help it doesn't help this just picture him in a list of statistics don't you yeah exactly yeah it's quite right just his name or on championship manager when I tried to sign him and I wasn't allowed Adam Nathan simply sent me a gif of Asamoah Gian dancing (laughs) but crucially in a Sunderland shirt so that definitely doesn't work I mean Gian in his defence does tick the box of it doesn't matter where he plays he will always get picked for Ghana so um, I mean I don't know maybe that says more about them than it does him I don't know Uh, going further back Salvatore Toto Scilacci I don't know, maybe yeah, a bit too obvious, maybe. Uh, Will Grigg? Yeah. Uh, maybe more of a cultural phenomenon rather than... The f- and, and definitely on the bench rather than in the starting 11 as well. I feel like we can't look beyond Miroslav closer. Yeah, so he was on my list. I mean, the good thing about him was, as I mentioned earlier, at the top of the show, I mean, he scored three league goals the season ahead of World Cup 2010, still played really well. Scored seven league goals ahead of World Cup 2014, still played really well and won the tournament. Um, and also he did it in multiple tournaments. I mean, 2002, he scored the, the hat-trick against uh, Saudi Arabia. He was still there in 2006, in 2010, in 2014. He, Yeah, for me, he is probably the not necessarily the captain in terms of a captain figure, but he's the most obvious player for this side. Now, this is this is good. Because, I mean, James, because we have been quite vague about this so far in terms of in terms of the reasoning, but closer is the best example in this team of, of how club football differs so much from international football. Germany probably did have other candidates to replace him in the squad based on their domestic performances. But international football is so different and he was deemed to be so reliable um, that he couldn't be ignored. So there are some players who are just destined to be better at international level because it's just the, the way it works. Yeah, is he kind of a lesson to Russia and Solenko? Because I think I'm right in saying Solenko didn't play again after that World Cup, did he, for Russia? Apparently not. Apparently but obviously closer got his, was it four goals or three goals he got against Saudi in 2002? And they mm. persisted with him after that. They kept him in a team for the next three or four tournaments. So mm. m- maybe the lesson is for Russia, if they'd kept Solenko in a team, they would have won the World Cup at some point. Good solid two out of three so far. Can, can I check a, a um, couple of other names at you, Adam? Yeah, go on. Um, I've got... As a, as a very uh, quick wide option, I've got Ahmed Musa, 
who looks good at World Cup 2014 <laughs> and World Cup 2018. Briefly played for Leicester, but you've no idea what he did. And is now incredibly playing back in Nigeria at the age of just 28, which seems incredibly unusual. Oh, right. Um, so he's there. And, and another one I've got that is a little bit of a curveball is Megan Rapino. 59 international goals, only 50 league club goals. Hasn't ever won the title in the US and yet has won two World Cups and is probably the most famous female player in the world. I'm happy to open this can of worms, actually, because I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the international cap halls of of top-level women's footballers. Um, uh, and, it, you know, it's got to the point where now where we are constantly reminded, reminded to caveat men's international records with, well, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, Hope Solo or whatever, you, you know, you're into, into your 300s. So... It's definitely a thing in women's football, but that's an infrastructural thing. It's it's just the it's the way the sport has developed. That international football has, been, has taken on so much more significance than the club game, which in some countries simply didn't exist in a, mean, in a meaningful way. So I think on a technical level, I mean, it's by definition the international women's game is is takes precedent, whereas in the men's thing, it's a bit more of a vague situation. No, I, I think you're right. I think probably the vast majority of uh, women's players fall into the category, don't they? So one last name to throw at you, Nuno Gomez. There's just something Funny something about the that. Portuguese shirt and his hair that is very international. <laughs> very on, keen on Nuno Gomez. On that note, though, can I throw in uh, like, I think we're saying the same person, like David Healy, someone who was the scourge of English football in more ways than one. <laughs> Helder Pastiga. Yeah. Is that who you were going to say, Adam? Thank you. Yes. Uh, Basically knocked England out of two tournaments straight off the back of coming to Spurs for a year and absolutely stinking the place out. It was absolutely awful. Um, scored two goals, one goal in the Premier League. Then scored against England in Euro 2004 and in the shootout. A Penenka, I believe, or a sort of limp. I, I don't know whether purists may argue that wasn't a Penenka. I think it actually might have been a bit too low. And then scored in the shootout in 2006 as well when Portugal knocked England out then. So... Yeah, he he uh, certainly to English eyes had a more successful international career than he did at club level. And I think I think he gets a bonus point as well because he left Porto just before they went on to win the European Cup, so he missed out on that club success as well. So that's interesting. Uh-huh. Um, you've mentioned two of the three po- Portuguese strikers that Adam Bull wrote in with. Uh, he also mentioned Pauleta. No, he's just PSG. Arguably isn't he? too good for PSG, wasn't he? But, he, but you, all you know about Pauletta is he just got loads of goals for PSG when PSG was <laughs> Yeah, no, no, again, Pauletta very much the kind of Euro goals staple yeah. on Eurosport. I mean, obviously yeah. he mentions that, but there's a lot of Portuguese players. I mean, I think Simao could come into the conversation for this. I don't think many mm. people remember him. Mm. Even go back to the 90s, João Pinto, Sapinto. There's a mm. lot of Portuguese names here. So that's quite interesting. We did say we were never going to kind of get too bogged down in hipsterdom in this uh podcast but king wolf 84 throws this name in he says what about pele james he was only known outside of brazil for world cup exploits how many football fans could name the clubs he played for i mean quite a few he played for santos right and uh yeah new york cosmos yeah i mean i i, I you know i mean he is definitely more widely known for playing for brazil than it's anybody true. else so. it's true it's true i mean i mean this is to a certain extent this is a, a Generation, a generational thing, an era thing, isn't it? I mean, you go back before a certain point, we would never have had any fo- uh, foreign football on television. So I think you can probably name pretty much any player before the 80s, maybe with the exception of Cruyff, and they would qualify for this. And Di Stefano as well, because he never played at a World Cup. But all the greats really did make their name at international tournaments. I think you could say the same for Franz Beckenbauer, for example. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, this is this is technological determinism basically. Yeah, up to a certain point you just didn't see these players. I'm happy to rule him out on that basis. 
um, which means we have David Healy, Miroslav Klose, and I will, I'm will. i going to round it down to a short list of three now. I'm going to give you Roger Miller because I just feel like it's irresistible. We're talking about a man who was African Player of the Year in 1976, the same year that Franz Beckenbauer won the Ballon d'Or. And then he won it again in 1990 when Lothar Matthias <laughs> won the Ballon d'Or. That's insane. That is insane. He scored something like 120 goals at club level before anyone even knew who he was um, when he played at 1982 World Cup. So uh, Miller is Miller's irresistible for this shortlist. Jan Koller. I do remember him at Dortmund. I, he was all right for Dortmund. And Anderlecht yeah. as well. Yes, definitely yeah. Anderlecht. Good yeah. shout. Okay, so in fact, it's, this is a two-man shortlist. It's Roger Miller or, as James previously mentioned, Quatermock Blanco. I th- well, they're kind of in the same category, I'd say. So I would have to go for Miller of the two of them. Um, Just for the breadth yeah, of his Yeah, I mean, two vibe. World Cups. I yes. think he's... Yeah, he's fine. very. You've sold that. Yeah, well. James. If you took away the the jumpy trick, that, literally ball, that one. Moment, what are you yeah. left with? <laughs> yeah, that is true. What are you left with? Uh, yeah, Roger Miller. Roger Miller. It is. There it is. So we have our team. I'm going to run through this eleven because it's um, absolutely fascinating, and I think I think we may well have nailed this. In goal, Guillermo Ochoa of Mexico. Right back, Chris Gunter of Wales. Left back, Jean Captavilla of Spain. Our centre halves, Rafael Marquez and. <laughs> Reluctantly, Domagoj Vida of Croatia. <laughs> Domagoj Vida got big! Three in midfield of Dunga, Carlos Valderrama and Owen Hargreaves. Really like that midfield. And up front, the attacking trident that is David Healy, Miroslav Klose and Roger Miller. Fascinating team. I think we've, we've got the cross-section of what we're talking about here. Lots of closed-eye tests, lots of players who, who genuinely we don't know where they played their club football and players who whose international careers were so different and so much better than their club careers for almost no reason. So I, I feel like we ticked every box, haven't we, Mike? Yeah, I really like the side. Some great suggestions from listeners. Very pleased that Vida got in. And uh... <laughs> oh, it's, 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 That's going to be the one I regret when I tweet this podcast out <laughs> the following morning. James, is a, gen, a genuinely compelling 11, actually, in its own right. Yeah, I was just trying to work out how they would do in a tournament. And my instinct is, is last 16, obviously. Uh, yeah, you can't win it. I was also going to work out it. whether this was the kind of team that, like, uh, England would play in the last 16, having kind of mm. sort of bubbled under in the group and kind of built up a bit of momentum and everyone starts to get carried away. Then they play this kind of ragtag assortment of weirdos and, and just get beat 2-1. This team, though, Michael, needs a manager. And I don't think this is going to be a difficult task at all, if anything. We're too blessed with candidates here. Herve Renard, Joachim Lowe, Bora Militinovic. None of these for me. No, no, okay. Two words. You must have something Two good up words. your sleeve. Lars Lagerbeck. Now, <laughs> let me just tell you, Adam, he worked, he, he was at two clubs in the 1980s uh, in Sweden, none of whom were above the third division in Sweden. Since 1990, he's almost continuously been employed uh, with the following teams, Sweden under 21, Sweden B, Sweden assistant, Sweden, Nigeria, Iceland, Norway, and now Iceland technical advisor and the good thing here is that four years during his spell in charge of Sweden he was of course a joint manager so I mean if you if you want to bring someone else into the mix feel free but I think Lars Lagerbeck is really up there well I think James I think and that's an incredible suggestion but uh, James I think his big competition here is Elf Renard but what works against the AFCON uh, veteran is that his short spell at Cambridge United, which everyone knows about. <laughs> Infamous, of course. Uh, I mean, I thought uh, Militinovic was, was you know, he got five countries to the World Cup, five different countries. Was it five successive World Cups as well? I mean, he has worked, you know, in club football a bit, but 
Not a yeah, lot. Yeah, you wouldn't. And I, you know, I mean, obviously, he's way he's way better known for what he's done at international level than than club level. Uh, and the other one I was going to say, and this guy definitely does have uh, a reasonably good club career behind him. But given the way he conducted himself after he left England, Sven Goran Eriksson, you know, was a bit of a gun for hire, wasn't he? After England going to work for what, like Ivory Coast, Mexico. Was there someone else as well? I feel like there Fli- might have been someone else. Did he go, did he end up somewhere in the Middle East no, or somewhere? Fli- at one Philippines point? he was at for a while. Oh yeah, there you go. So, you know, Sven. And everyone loves Sven. Yeah, but his his, his domestic backstory once again, you Gothenburgs. Yeah. He's in the European country. Um, he won Syria. Sampdoria. I can't, I can't. Yeah, he did. I mean, he did win Syria. He did play the know, If we're talking yeah. Swedish managers, I mean he's he's far behind Lagerbeck in the pecking order for me. I appreciate everything you said about Lagerbeck. Uh I just I just I can't look beyond Bora Militinovic. You know, I think he'd be able, he he would be best equipped to corral all these disparate <laughs> stars together because he would have managed all their countries for a start. Um, uh, so yeah, he's the godfather of this. He's the godfather of the international journey manager. I'm happy with that. I'm happy that he'd be able to um, keep that squad happy. Well done, everybody. We did. We've done this. What a team. We've really cut to the core of this because it was a concept that when I first heard about it, I thought, this is brilliant. And then as I thought about it more and more, I started to forget what the hell it was all about. So I'm glad we finally nailed this. Otherwise, um, um, it never would have happened. James, brilliant stuff. Well argued as well. Thank you. I'm glad I'm glad we've not got a first goal scorer for the tournament in this team, but you know, I'm sure. We'll, no, we didn't even talk about Shabalala in the end. No. There uh, you go. True. Sad times. Michael, you brought data to the party, which was really, really good. Um, your Dunga Wikipedia ratio really was the uh, the jewel in this crown. Thank yeah, I'm pleased you appreciate it. I mean, the fun thing is that in in about seven weeks' time. We could have another great name for this. I was going to suggest someone, but of course, I don't know who it okay. is. That's the entire point. It yeah, will be someone we don't know. It. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Probably Alan Zagoyev, no doubt. Thanks to you both. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, I've got international tournament fever, no doubt about that, right now. And we'll see you next week. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Clichés show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never ending domestic season finally draws to a close we'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks time The Athletic